everyone. Welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lamu. And this week, we're sorry. Yes. Did you watch this with us? We're sorry. We hope you did it for free. We watched The Mangler from 1995 on Voodoo with ads. It was free, and I am grateful. It is the one thing in this film I am grateful for. But before we get into the film, what are you grateful for? <laughs> I'm grateful that I will never have to see this movie again. <laughs> yeah. I'm grateful for Thanksgiving. I had a great Thanksgiving. How was yours? It was good. It was very good. We had sort of, we double dipped into Thanksgiving. We did Thanksgiving and Friendsgiving, Mm -hmm. both at our house. Not a turkey was harmed in the making of our Thanksgivings. Game hens, though. Game hens and a ham. There was a a potato So there was a pig. Mangled, I can say. I mangled a potato. And let's see, what else did we have? We had chocolate turkeys. Yes. Thanks, Trader Joe's. Chocolate turkeys and apple pie and pumpkin pie and uh, Japanese whiskey. But I think that's what did me in at the end of the evening. <laughs> I did not have any Japanese whiskey because I knew better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but. The wisdom of youth. Let's get into this mess of a movie. You wanted to start because when we discussed it very briefly last week, you made an exclamation. Right. When I said who wrote it. So why don't you tell us a little about one Peter Welbeck or his birth name. I found some wonderful things about him. Peter was... Welbeck is Harry Allen Towers. There you go. Who was previously a writer for radio. He's a very interesting man in that he's very much larger than life, but very seedy, I guess is the best way to say mm. it. He had a gift for putting together films with large casts of extraordinary people, actors like Michael Caine and Charlton Heston and Orson Welles and Christopher Lee, who worked with him time and again. And he was able to make films on really large budgets, like this film, by shooting them in countries that were in peril and were attracting foreign dollars. So he shot films in Iran before the fall. He shot films in Russia when it was still illegal. And he shot films like this one in South Africa. Yes. Which is bizarre, but yes, this is a film made in both London and South Africa and not in Maine. Yeah, Anat Singh is the producer, and I was just looking him up, and he is a South, not the the politician who's under Mm -hmm. criminal indictment for several things right Right. now, but the producer, the South African producer, uh, who's made a whole bunch of things, including Sherlock Holmes' Incident at Victoria Falls. Yes, and that was one of Harry Allen Towers' films, where he and got together... And Cry the Beloved Country. Which is an anti-apartheid movie. It's, he's a very strange character, and if you ever... Uh, his films range from... So Towers. Now we're going to go back to yes. Towers. We're not going to go... Towers, we're going to get away from Anat Singh. He, is, he was a radio producer. He was a film producer. He was a director. He was, at one point, a pimp. Ooh. Uh... Possibly a spy. We now refer to them as traffickers. Right. He was a very unusual person, and he would put together these cast of these films. People liked working with him. He apparently was lavish with money for his stars, but not lavish with money for his productions. So, um, yes, and when he produced everything from big-budget mainstream movies with big stars, like I mentioned, to softcore erotica for late-night television. That doesn't surprise me, but he didn't produce this. He, well, he was an he executive producer it. on this Well, film. that's true. But and he wrote it under a pseudonym. Yes. And he probably arranged the financing since he was doing a lot of films out of South Africa at the time. If a government was in peril, he was there with a movie camera. I'm going to offer that it wasn't, the financing was low. Well, it was low because of where he was shooting, too. That well, was but thing. also... He got lots of incentives from... There's approximately no dollars on the street. <laughs> That's that's not no, true. No, that's not that's true. The production design of this film is amazing. It is very good. That is true. Um, so in terms of the actual physical appearance of the movie, there's nothing to fault it there or the cinematography. But the film is almost incomprehensible. And that's something also yeah. that marked a lot of European productions at the time. One of his tricks was to make films in countries that were crumbling and needed to get tourism dollars okay. or something. The other trick was to... Uh, include stars from everywhere he could find so he would have a yeah. marketing clue to different countries, which is why he was so fond of working with Christopher Lee, who was 
a star in Germany, right. a star in England, a star in Italy. Right. That's not the case for this one, though. No, I don't and this one, think. He was working, he th uh, the, the, the tagline for the movie in some places was it was three masters of horror, which were Robert Englund, um, Toby Hooper, Toby Hooper, and and Stephen King, that they somehow converged to make this movie. Right. So when you hear that, you mm -hmm. think, should be good. Right, and so should be great. There's an element to the script that could, really could be good. <laughs> really feels like they did not, and this is something you saw in a lot of European films, particularly in France and Italy, where people were speaking their lives phonetically because it sounded like they didn't understand the words coming out of their mouth. Except Robert England speaks yes, English, which is so what does Ted Levine. It's like everyone in this film should speak English, but it sounds like they were that Ted Levine is also, I would argue, uh, a, a horror. Uh, well, he stayed in the Star. genre. I, I'm not sure that he was really. Uh, well, but I mean, right. he's got pedigree in the yes, in the, he does in the horror field. If you don't know, Ted Levine was James Gum mm -hmm. in Silence, Silence of the Lambs, right? And he gave an amazing performance, a really brave. He also, on a personal note, mm -hmm. is a very good poet. So if you want to look at for his poetry, yes, to the Ted Levine that has several. Mm -hmm. Things of published poetry is the same man who was in this movie, and so it's a Yes, who looks a lot like Rutger Hauer. He has a very uh, vivid toupee. He's mm. not, it's not a toupee. I don't think so. Not in this. Really? Yeah, that's what I read. It was a, just a really vibrant toupee. And but I mean, it looked like he was losing his hair. Why would you have a toupee that was so thin? I don't know. I don't. I want proof He didn't of go this. for the whole William Shatner toupee. Apparently. Where did you find this information? I, found I don't this believe in one you. of the dozen sources of information I, I referenced. Because he is a bald man. Yes. Now. He is. But uh and and I believe he was balding in ninety one when mm -hmm. Silence of the Lambs came out. So the other thing that I want to do, now that we know who made this film, mm -hmm. I want to put it in context. Okay. 1995, that's when this film was released. Uh, the number one uh, movie at the box office in 1995 was Die Hard with a Vengeance. I believe that is the third in the Die Hard oeuvre. Also out that year, and coming in number two, Toy Story, oh. Apollo 13, Waterworld, and Jumanji. We're all in the top ten. Right. So these are good-looking films with good effects, mm -hmm. right? And this movie that we watched today is not that. Well, it's... Uh, also, Babe, uh, the original Babe, right. was out. Uh, Braveheart, that's what won Best Picture. Uh Sense and Sensibility was the other big movie of the year. So there were there were It's not that these these movies this film certainly has some polish. I don't want people to think that they're I don't want people to think that they're watching something like Demon Knight came out the same year. Right, but I what I mean <laughs> to say in saying that is that the film is not like um Creepshow 2 that we saw where it looks really amateurish. Like it I was badly lit. Honestly, was, um, this is a really professional-looking film. But I it's just think the production design uh -huh. is very good. I do think it is poorly lit, and I think that for whatever reason, I don't know if they got free makeup services from somebody, but the makeup in this movie is cartoonish, like they got a bunch of makeup students to do the work. And it was just like, do whatever you want. <laughs> because there's old age makeup for no reason. Uh, Robert England, uh, largely probably to keep us from seeing Robert England, mm -hmm. is wearing so many prosthetics and so much makeup. And then also, like physical prosthetics, his legs are in these... He's like a knight of the realm. He's wearing well, these he's, braces. Well, he's playing a person who's essentially like a machine himself. Right, but... I think that's what they were hinting at, but... Hinting is not the word that you want. But he, like he's an extension of the machine, but any kind of subtlety is just beaten to death there by the There is no subtlety in this movie. 
Uh, now, to address it, the original short story, yeah, which is apparently 14 pages long, yeah, uh, involves a a police detective. So it's similar in that respect. It's investigating uh, the deaths around uh, an industrial laundry press machine. I yeah. looked up pictures of it because I was curious about the size of the mangler, which is roughly something from Jurassic Park. A real industrial press machine is about the size of a Volkswagen, so it's not nearly as menacing as this thing. Right. Well, and in the... Uh, it is due to various ingredients, including a medicine containing extract of nightshade, mm-hmm. a live bat, and fresh blood getting into the machine. It's been possessed by a demon, basically. If you, It's like if you mix all these things together. Right. Whoops. Uh, and the story ends With it, where they underestimate the demon's right. power, and it goes... Creeps along of its own Prowling accord. out into the world, which so, sort of happens in this, but the because it was so short, they had to add a whole bunch of stuff. Y'all also... This movie should have come in as a sweet 88 minutes, now, and it was an hour and 45 minutes long. Be frank about this. It probably is not the best of Stephen King's short stories. Of course not. I it didn't was, have the time to read it. It's it was about published a, in 1972. It was right at the beginning. Press. Of, but that doesn't. that's a scary thing. Have you seen these machines? Well, no. I've seen this thing. I mean, I've, I've seen pictures of it, which is why I didn't... And I can understand why it would probably sell better on paper than seeing it amble around the way it does in this film. It's one of the things that, like Firestarter, shouldn't have been put on film. Right. Like, you can't make this look good. Well, I think Firestarter worked in terms of special effects. That was a much more successful film, but, yeah, the little girl and expecting this performance no, out of her. It does, no, not even that. When, when the power is, I'm thinking at you, uh-huh. don't put it on screen. It doesn't ever work. The, it was, we still haven't gotten a successful Professor X with two fingers on the forehead. Like, it just is not, it doesn't lend itself to film. Well, he, it doesn't need to be a movie. And we had this whole conversation when we talked about Firestarter. He's Starter, so, his imaginary hat. Well, but do you know what I'm saying? Like, I we've had this conversation saying. before. Okay. Um, and I believe you agreed with me at that time, so I don't no, know why. No, what I'm saying is I thought Firestarter in terms of the special effects itself, which are... I'm not talking about special effects. I'm talking about things that don't need to be made into a movie. Okay. Like, this is not... It's great on, on the page. Mm-hmm. It doesn't... It's not a visual thing. It just doesn't okay. lend itself to the visual medium. And this is another one where... I, I think uh, Christine struggles with that as well. They made it work surprisingly. Well, John Carpenter right. made it work. And so I, I'm not, this is no criticism to Toby Hooper, but I don't think anybody could have done anything with this material. Although like the mangler itself in this movie mm-hmm. looks cool as shit. Like right. it's cool. Well, there's, But I am so distracted by um, the terrible makeup and the terrible acting mm-hmm. that the mangler the, and, and once again, an hour and 45 minutes. Right. Hold my attention for 88. But I was just like, is this movie over yet? Why so why, why don't you give us a synopsis so that we can go on with the... Um, well, I've lost it, so give me a second. Okay. Oh, y'all, there are two sequels, and I'm telling you right now, we are not watching them. No. They're called The Mangler 2 and The Mangler Reborn. So if you loved this and you think we're way off base... There's more for you. Uh, so we start, we're in Gartley's Blue Ribbon Laundry Service. It's a laundry press owned by Bill Gartley. That is Robert England's character. Mm-hmm. He spends most of his performance uh, ambling about, I don't want to be ableist. The man is wearing these, braces on his legs that are very shiny and very metal and he's got a like arm crutches the type of crutches that like that don't go into your armpits but that you hold on to so he's got those and he is usually on the catwalk above the laundry Mm -hmm. uh barking out orders uh gartley's niece sherry who yeah, the fam- the familial relationships in this movie are confusing. She cuts herself on a lever connected to this giant machine. And this machine is a 
it it washes and presses and sheets. folds. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And folds sheets. So you feed the. I don't even know if it washes them. It might just dry and fold it. The the mechanics. I believe you'll pardon the expression of this machine baffled me. I really wish that there had been some establishing shot where we got to see the entire process of what it is. Well, you can't see the right. middle of it. That's why. So you feed the sheet, which I think actually is a clean, wet sheet, uh-huh. into one side of it. And then the other side has um, uh, these this thing that folds it over. Right. There's rollers that it goes through. Um, and then there's a bunch of rollers mm-hmm. and... M- m- machinery in the middle that, that we I don't see. Had, when I was a kid, we actually had one of, well, not it was a washing machine with the rollers that we would bring into our kitchen. We attached a water hose to it, and mm. there were the two rollers. I was never allowed to play with it for the fear that right, I would put right. my hands in that. Yeah, but this is, I, that's to wash. This, I think, is post-wash. I well, think yeah, this is, but the elsewhere. rollers pressed the water out, so I was wondering if oh, it had a similar you. function there. Yeah, I don't know. It's unclear. And it's run by what looks like, and the machine itself has legs that are made out of this sort of pitted iron. It's a, um, I, don't, I don't remember seeing legs. The whole face of it looks like cast iron, but right. like hammered cast iron, because yeah, it's like dimpled. that's what all the pits and dimples are from. Um, and and then... A folding apparatus in the back. On the back, yeah. And then there's what looks like enormous bicycle chains. Chains. They're chains running, to, that, yeah. that are running whatever machinery is in the middle, which we, don't, Probably we can't rollers, see. Probably rollers, whatever. We can yeah. never see. It's where all of the mangling gets done. <laughs> but that's we don't know. Mm-hmm. And we should note that the laundry, very much like the mill from mm-hmm. Graveyard Shift, right. is populated by young women who are very sweaty. Mostly women in this one. Yeah. But they're all sweaty. It's a hot business. We're also, we are in Maine. We're in Rikers Valley, Maine. Right. The industrial heart of Maine. I don't know if that's real. I don't know. So she cuts her hands and some of the blood gets in the mangler's tread. She's trying to avoid being crushed by this icebox that uh, some movers are carrying past clumsily, clumsily. Uh, sparks and light, uh, lightning, light, yeah, is. come out of this uh, thing when the blood and the icebox come into contact with the mangler. We don't know why. We don't know. And this icebox is like a weird, separate it possessed thing. It doesn't look thing. like an electrical icebox either. It's uh, no, it's an ice right. Box. So why it's it got would that weird sparks and hat yeah. where you put the ice and then everything inside right. of it stays cold. Uh, so Miss Frawley, an elderly worker, uh, is struggling to o- open a bottle of antacids, and she spills them into the moving tread and then tries to get them out and is uh, pulled in to the machine. She's crushed up and folded like a sheet. There's not much of her left. They carry her out in a basket, so that's not good. Goal, don't die in such a way that I have to get put into a pail of some sort. Uh, Then we see police officer John Hunton. That's Ted Levine's character. He's our protagonist. Um, He drives too fast. These roads are confusing. It looks almost like a, uh, this is from personal experience, like a mobile home park. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't look like a real road. He's going past these little um, houses, but they, I think it might be mobile homes. But he's driving so fast. I'm just like, why is he yeah, driving so He seems so to fast? be driving at ridiculous speeds all through the film for yeah, no particular for reason. for no reason. He doesn't add anything to the film. Um, so he, he we've, we meet him driving out of this area, and he almost runs into the truck with the two clumsy movers who are offloading that icebox mm-hmm. here. Uh, and he gets past them, and then he goes to the laundry, and he is there to investigate. But there's not really much of an investigation because the owner of the mill owns the judge who owns right. the cops, and they do a quick inspection at one point, and we see, well, the safety bar is working, so it was just an accident, and I'm just like, that's the shittiest inspection of all time. Especially when someone's been killed. And he's pretty sure that some shit is going on, but he can't prove it, and he keeps getting called off. Now, what we know about uh, 
officer or detective Hunton. Uh, he's he doesn't. I'm going to call him a detective because he's wearing plain clothes. He at mm-hmm. no point is wearing a uniform of any sort. He has a wife that is dead. Um, she died in a car accident wherein he was driving, and he blames himself for it. He lives next door to his brother-in-law Mark, who is apparently an amateur demonologist from Berkeley. And he went to school in Berkeley. Yes. And we don't know if he has a real job. Uh, he, Hunton brings Mark around on his investigations with him, which seems uh, deeply inappropriate. <laughs> but they do. Uh, and Mark gets into his head that because then there are there are more deaths. It mm-hmm. ends up that there are like two more deaths. There's a steam scalding. There's and then yeah, at one limbs. point yeah, yeah, there's a steam scalding. We uh, this it, it was so I sorry I'm really all over the place here. So what we end up finding out is well, first of all, okay. So Mark is like it has it's virgin's blood is what did this. Mm-hmm. So is Sherry a virgin? So when they're interviewing Sherry, fucking Mark at the end of the interview just goes up to and goes, are you a virgin? Like real, real aggressive in her, in, in her face. In a now mind you, this is a traumatized way. teen girl. Yes. Who's living this rich, well, or the house, this mansion where her steam powered uncle, this is a steampunk movie, whether yeah. he thinks or not. Yeah. Um, Basically, he doesn't seem to live there. He seems to most spend most of his time he living in his office. He spends most of his time at his office. He's even got a bathroom there. And a mistress there. Yes. Um, so she won't answer the question, but then it turns out that she is. We also find out that she is, yeah, 15 turning mm-hmm. 16. And it turns out we find out that like all of the powerful people in this town, on their 16th birthday of... like uh, uh, On the young girl of their family's 16th mm-hmm. birthday they sacrifice a piece of her into the machine and then that gives them power in the in the town mm-hmm. okay uh, so meanwhile yes one of the new hires lin su which is not a name but that's fine uh who Gartley refers to as his niece, but apparently is not his niece no. because Sherry is his niece. She rather is the person who he is going to have sex with. Ew. Ew. And I say ew because I would like to refer you to all of the makeup that Robert England is wearing. He's a deeply gross character. Like it's a... What's that movie? It's not... I want to call it uh, Nothing to Lose, but that's not the one. Um, the one with Dan Nothing Aykroyd. Nothing But Trouble. Nothing But Trouble. Mm-hmm. It's like that level of gross that mm-hmm. they're going for. He's also like terrible. Like he's clearly a well, he, terrible person. He has person. a dead eye and both legs in braces and he uses these extensions to walk around. And but I mean, he he's also very much yeah. muttering that people are stupid and morons and everything's bullshit and he's clearly like... Well, he likes also any compassion for the dead workers. Yes. He, he uh, wants to continue working as soon as when possible. When Miss Frawley goes in the machine, he calls her a stupid bitch. Right. Like, ooh. <laughs> well, there's, there's no... Uh, every, everyone here is an exaggeration. Yeah. There's the no humanity screams a lot. Yeah. The detective shoots his gun for no apparent Which reason. Which we do find out, I guess, that... Uh, Everybody who sacrifices a piece of themselves mm-hmm. into the machine has a piece of the machine in themselves, which I guess is a piece of the demon in themselves, which right. is why he lacks all humanity, which happens to Lin Su at mm-hmm. one point. So yes. then she becomes, you know, she puts on red lipstick and that's how you know. That's oh, how you know. So and also offers herself if up Stephen to King him. has taught us anything, yeah. he's taught us that red, red lipstick, lipstick equals evil. Yep. Gartley is planning basically to sacrifice Sherry as well. And so Mark and Hunton decide that they're going to do an exorcism, uh, which ends up killing Gartley, Lin Su, and the foreman, Stanner, who, once again, he's makeuped for no reason. Like, they have salt and peppered his hair in such a way that it draws attention to the fact that you can use makeup to do that. <laughs> 
And he also, he is a dick to begin with, but has some humanity, like he's not well, he in the upper echelons. Well, he eventually develops character to start second-guessing things, and he dies a more heroic death. Right. Although, if we're treated to yet another scene of this young woman trying to draw someone who's obviously being crushed to death, out by the boot. Yeah, she keeps grabbing people by the ankle like they're already like they're they're gone. We've seen Sherry. her. She's all of a hundred pounds, and she keeps trying to drag these people who are and getting hurt every time. In Stanner's case, much larger than yes. he's twice her size, and she's trying to pull him out by his boots. Yeah, this is the second time we see this scene. It's almost as if you know they're they're padding out the length by just having more. There's death. a lot of padding for right. no reason. So they they're doing this exorcism. Three people die, but they end up you know pouring a bunch of holy water on the thing, and then it like falls apart. Mm-hmm. But then kind of comes back together. It comes back because to, we right. find because the whole time Mark's like, well, as long as it's just the blood of a virgin and no belladonna or no deadly nightshade, then we should be fine. Uh, Hand of Glory is the other thing that it's called, but it's all the same, Belladonna. And then we find out, of course, that the pills that Miss Frawley had dropped in there and the ones that uh, Hunton has been taking this whole time, uh, it, given to him by a young woman who I believe's name was Annabelle, whose entire purpose was to give him these medis- this medicine, mm-hmm. but her scene was like two minutes long, and it was wild, because it was like, this is not an actress. She doesn't know what's right. happening right now. She like is crying, and she's standing awkwardly, and I thought for a second she was coming on to him, but literally her whole purpose and the thing is, take this medicine. <laughs> it was... Like a lot of the film, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And then, so, he takes another one of these pills, it's antacids, right? Mm -hmm. And Mark's like, oh no. It's got deadly nitrate in it. Because he literally says at one point, well, if it it involved the hand of glory, we're fucked. Like, I think that's the phrase that he says. And I'm just like, good lord. Uh, and then Mark realizes when he sees the pills that not only was the exorcism useless, because the demon is still alive, it's now stronger than it ever was. And the machine bursts to life, and now it's like, it like shakes, and then pieces of it fall off. <laughs> and then, uh, so we've got Mark, Shelley, and... Is it Shelley? It's Sherry. Mark, sure. Sherry, and Hunton running from this thing and they run down and they start running down into the bowels of this laundry which uh turns out this laundry's on a hell mouth because there are these it look they're green so I, am i to believe that it's jade steps i'm not carved sure. into earth the earth it that like they a, are crawling it's down it's like the inside of the tower of pisa there's this ramp or staircase that leads further and further down yep. and you think it's going to go somewhere and eventually just goes to a, like a sewage vent that they pop out of yes so they end up jumping down pointless the, exercise the machine chases them until it doesn't and right. it's unclear why it stops uh, it, uh, the impression I got it was it was too big to fit through the like was it getting smaller was the vent getting smaller the vent was getting smaller because okay. they eventually pop out and it's about the size of a manhole cover okay but during this entire time I it looked like once it got loose of its moorings and began ambling around, it looked like a kind of a a miniature version of Mechagodzilla. It's breathing fire, it has big red eyes. Yeah, yeah. It's there is a them. shot of an eye at one point that is very early and very bad CGI. It's and it, but it's also so fast that your brain is like What wait, am I looking at? What? Yeah. <laughs> um and then something falls from the machine into the water, and then a mechanical wail ensues, and it goes back to where it came from and, and sits still, and John and Sherry escape. Uh, oh, does Mark die? Did Mark die? It's oh, Mark yeah, Mangler, the, it tears him apart. That's right. So the, th- the two of them get out. Oh, we've forgotten about JJJ, picture men. No. There's a character that we later, very last thing we learn in the film is that his name is J.J.J. Pitcherman, and his job is a photographer. For some reason, well, he's played by the same actor who plays the coroner in the film. Yes, the mortician and J.J.J. Pitcherman. Right. 
are played by the same person. The same actor who is young. Which, yeah, he's young. And as soon as I saw him the first time, I was like, this is a character who is taking pictures with an old-fashioned camera like that. Mm-hmm. It's a single-flash <laughs> yeah. bulb camera. Bulb camera. He's everywhere. Like, he's um, supposed to be, I guess, the police photographer, but he's right. literally everywhere. He gets there before the police do. And then it's like, I'll see you at the next place, or I'll see you soon. It's real weird. And as soon as you see him, you're like, well, that's a young dude in old makeup. Right. I don't know why. Uh, and then, yeah, and then you said, oh, it's the same It's the same guy who plays the... Uh, mortician. Mortician. And he passes away. Uh, he was sick. Mm-hmm. There was a whole little thing where he was getting sick, and... He gets visited in the hospital. He's not a he's not well, a he fatality up, of, of the, the main. Machine. He winds up contributing a lot to the secret plot, like the he's secret been following oh, it like, for years. Yeah, 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 that's right. He's like, yeah, he's telling them about the mm-hmm. the elders of the town right. and the. But it's. I'm gonna say it again. He's a photographer, and his last name is Pictureman. And also, J J J. How many names does he have? Jumpin' Jesus Jehoshaphat Pictureman. Uh, so he dies. And uh, at the end, uh, Huntley... Did I call him Huntley? That's not his name. Hunton. Hunton receives a letter from Pictureman who warns him not to trust anyone in town missing a body part because they are a part of the machine and the machine is part of them. And then time passes by, and uh, John, or Hunt, Hunt, Hunton, uh, <laughs> with in in uh, street clothes, he's wearing jeans in the scene, and he grabs a piece of or a, a bouquet of flowers, and he's going to see Sherry, who has taken over mm-hmm. at the age, ripe old age of sixteen. She's so taken over her father's business. the fact business. first that a 30-year-old man is bringing a 16-year-old girl flowers. 30? That's generous. I'm, yes, I'm being generous. <laughs> I'm, look, I'm judging by the toupee. And he is a 40-plus-year-old man. He is. And somehow she's, it's also appropriate for her to be running the plant now. Yes, so she's running it, and she has taken over her. Like, she sounds just like mm-hmm. Bill did at the beginning. She uh, is ordering them to move faster. There's never enough time and get these right. lazy people in gear. There's a new foreman who looks identical to the old foreman. And Might she be the same guy in makeup. Raises, maybe. She raises her hand and we see that she is missing a finger. We don't know when this happened. Probably in the Well, it happened pursuit. during the, I think, when she was during trying to pull. Oh, God, maybe. Well, the exorcism was... Ridiculous, because the exorcism as it is shown in the film is people basically shouting scriptures and Lord's Prayer at a machine and throwing communion wafers they, and holy and water yes, at it. Yes, communion wafers. They're literally right. just they were throwing, throwing <laughs> handfuls of communion wafers into the machine and shouting scriptures between profanities at the top of their lungs. And uh, this is right after Sherry attempted to save the foreman, which is, I believe, where she lost her finger. Maybe. We didn't see it. And then there's a fist fight where uh, evil... Uh, what's her name? Um, Lin Su? Lin. Lin Su. Lin Su. Uh, evil Lin Su gets into a fight with our Berkeley exorcist. Uh, yeah, it's just, that that film, the ending of the movie was, it seemed as if it was trying to involve all the characters. It was just berserk. Everyone winds up dying or getting killed. There's a very high body count. There's some really gory special effects which are probably the best in the film, really. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, this movie is a mess. I'm reading a thing mm-hmm. um, from the Wikipedia page. Uh Film critic Scout Tafoya of Robert, RogerEbert.com mm-hmm. included it in his video series The Unloved, where he highlights films which received mixed to negative reviews that he believes to have artistic value. 
Which is what this this film has this artistic film value. Has artistic value, but Tafoya considers the film to be up there with Christine and The Shining as among the best Stephen King adaptations. In that, it's a stylistic representation of the director's obsessions, not just a boilerplate transposition of his text, mm-hmm. which makes a certain amount of sense. Although, if they'd gotten a better writer, he lamented that. He says, I can't help but get angry and defeated imagining what it must have been like for one of the country's most obviously talented filmmakers to continually get the short end of the stick, critically and commercially, Mm -hmm. and stated that it's perversely fitting that Toby Hooper's greatest failure is about the very machinery of capitalism that would imprison him in the world of low-budget production. I think that might be reading a little bit too much into it. Well, this movie is definitely, like, well, yes, capitalism's no, the bad guy. Like, what I appreciate about the film is that there's a lot of interesting touches to it. For instance, um, when Sherry hurts herself with a clamp, there's a banner on the gate yeah. that reads, Labor Will Set You Free, which is the banner that was outside of Auschwitz. Yeah. Uh, all the people in the camp, the women, are forced to wear these kind of medieval uniforms. Yeah. And they're all paying service to the machine. The machine itself is, uh, what was it? Hadley Watson six. Hadley has six letters. Watson has six letters, and, and the number six. The six yeah, it. yeah. There's a lot of neat touches to there it. There is, and there's a kind of a subversive message about and capitalism. Like the theme uh-huh. works, but the well, the script is deeply terrible. The demonologist, for one, like they was, could have just asked anybody mm-hmm. who'd done. A modicum of research into the occult. Right. Well, the demonologist character to start for for him, uh, for with him for me, he basically does little else in the movie other than yell the same line over and over again: "Hand of Glory, the Virgin Blood." Yeah. The Virgin Blood. Hand, he repeats this over and over again as if, again, he's taking up space. Like he doesn't have enough to say. And it's it's that uh-huh. the. The relationship between he and his brother-in-law is interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, that is an interesting relationship where they are neighbors now, and he does not hold any ill will to this man who believes himself responsible for Mark's sister's death and right. his wife's death. That's touched on so briefly and so poorly, but it could be a really interesting Yeah, it could have been, yeah. Thing, especially now that he has survived both of them. To have that kind of guilt afterwards. Well, this is the the reason why he's taking Belladonna to cure his ailments for some reason. Well, it's it's a, it's used in asset and assets, and that is true. That he didn't mm. know that, right? But he's got Harper. He's got a uh, he's got but a yeah. That character, sour the, tummy. the way that he keeps yelling the same lines, and we're repeated to. It seems like the same variations on the same scene over and over again. Uh, the the movers who keep dropping the refrigerator. Yeah, and then a oh, really bizarre scene. We forgot about the refrigerator. That right. icebox comes back in a scene wherein a child right. has been locked inside of it and died, mm-hmm. along with several pigeons. From the sound of it, oh, well, then there are pigeons and in then, there, and then it tries to bite right. Mark. And there's a baffling number of pigeons in this scene. That really don't have any explanation. There are a lot of pigeons There's in just suddenly this like, movie generally. At night, as the film is going along, there's just a lot of pigeons fluttering around, flooding in and out of frame. It's not ever explained. It's never given a reason. They Other than the there were they, they were there and so right, I guess... Right, and there's a dead pigeon inside, or several dead pigeons. But it was one of those scenes where he... Effectively, the demonic presence leaves the icebox in this big flood of lights that looks like something from Ghostbusters. That's right, because he beats it with a sledgehammer. Right. First he says, do you have a hammer? And they bring him a sledgehammer, and never would I do that. Right. I would presume you meant like, an, like, a, ha- like, like a, a hammer. Like a hammer for nailing a nail or a hammer for laying down track to beat the steam engine? Um, so they bring him John Henry's hammer, and he beats the hell out of the refrigerator, which then gives this horrible kind of you know what it reminded me of? The quickening in Highlander. It's just yeah. a lot of lights and this, screaming. Like this blue light tornado right. that happened on top of the thing. For for no 
and it's unclear. It's never explained. Everyone else around it sees it too, and they're like, "Oh, well, that." And JJJ Pitcherman sees it, yeah, and says this really incomprehensible mouthful of things. Oh, it was great. You did tricks. Oh, that's great. The trick. It's like he it says it's a trick. At the same time, he acknowledges that he exercised a demon. Yeah, I'm thinking. Did you just include every draft in the same in the same paragraph? That's what. Yeah, that's what it, it feels like. It feels almost like it was written by people who. It was written in a different language and then right, put to a Google Translate. That's what it feels like. People are and it wasn't for that's the most. Yeah, it wasn't for the most part. People speak at each other. They're not. You know, I say A says something to B. B says something, not responding to A, but completely unrelated. Yeah, no, they are talking a lot of that. across each other, a right. lot of it. Ugh. And again, lines get repeated over and over and over again. Don't forget Belladonna. Be- yeah, Belladonna, along with Virgin's Blood, is repeated so many times over the course of the film. And like, they're trying to make it all make sense, but just saying those things doesn't make it make and sense. It has a scene, the, the kind of scene that I think I blame Steven Spielberg for. Um, Let's do it. There's a scene in Close Encounters where they're trying to find coordinates in a map, and there's a later scene with Richard Dreyfuss trying to build an enormous mountain in his living room. And it's lots of scenes of people running through books and looking through manuscripts and, you know, futzing around and pulling things off of shelves. And there's... Sounds like that Seventh Gate movie. I'm thinking of Johnny Depp. No, that's Ninth Gate. Ninth Gate. But this that scene, this character, Mark, I guess, the the amateur demonologist, he keeps doing that. And one of the funnier scenes to me, we were speaking about people who had occult knowledge, he grabs a copy of the Golden Bough, which is actually sitting on our shelf right now. This is not a, a tome of the occult. It's basically a book on folklore. And just starts pointing at pages and reading things aloud that might not actually be in the book. It was just ridiculous. It was kind of like watching children's television when somebody discovers the magic spell in an old book. It, yeah, it was very disappointing in that visually it had a great deal of potential, but the realization was just awful. And, and, the, um, and also the characters do really nonsensical things. At one point, our officer is being dragged into the machine by his long coat, which is kind of his trademark. And instead of just taking off the coat, he shoots it off of his body, which seems like a really iffy and risky thing to do. Yeah. He could have just shrugged his shoulders out of it. It wasn't tied. It wasn't buttoned in any way. No. It's just hanging off his shoulders. So he repeatedly shoots at his coat, probably ricocheting off the machine, as you mentioned. And... Yeah, to no effect. It doesn't yeah. seem like anybody thought this through. Or Nobody what... thought anything through. Right. Like I said, everybody's so caricatured that mm-hmm. it's like, I'm not watching human beings. Y'all, don't, don't give this one a miss. If you want to catch up, read the 14-page short story. It'll be 15 minutes of your life, and you can move on with everything. So I want to be done talking about it. Do you have anything else? <laughs> uh, no. No, I was looking, I was trying to find this quote that I... Uh, oh, yeah, I thought you were going to do that no, at the no, beginning. No, 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 I didn't find it. Okay. Do you want but, me to look for it? No, no, it's okay. What's that dude's name? Uh, Harry and Allen Towers. Harry? Allen Towers, yeah. Allen Towers. But that's okay. I, I, I There's some really good... By the way, I would recommend, and I can put it on our Facebook page, a lot of really good reviews of this movie that are better than the film deserves. Which Yeah, are, I think it had... Are, are Toby insightful. Hooper wanted to make a good movie, mm-hmm. but the script and maybe the time made it impossible. Yeah, I don't think that he was going to be able to... Um, pull it off because it's not like the film is it seems like there was a budget going towards it the set of the factory itself is a huge it's enormous and this the the prop of the mangler itself is really impressive yes and there's a lot of impressive production design but one thing that and compounds the could have been better right. if the lighting was better right. i feel like they put too much light on the massive quantities of makeup that they have used. Well, there's also an element of, and it's something we've barely touched, 
there's a, a weird element of not knowing where this is taking place. I mean, the, the sense of dis- Valley, you know, Maine. Well, the sense of dislocation happens from the fact that it's South Africa, but on top of that, we're talking about a town where the local photographer uses a single bulb flash, which people stopped using in 1960s. Yeah. All the people are wearing these sort of, uh, all the workers in the factory are wearing these kind of medieval costumes, or at least they, they disappeared well, they're sometime not. before they're the wearing, century. They're wearing blue um, aprons. But that doesn't all. give a sense of country or even, you know, it almost looks like a, a workers' cooperative in the Soviet Union. That's what it's supposed to look like, but I think. everything here, from the hairdos on the characters to... It doesn't give a particular sense of when this is supposed to be. No, taking place. it's a, well, I think because it's supposed to be any small town USA. Because if you look at who's in charge of your small town, I bet they are all evil, literally, apparently. But it also gives a sense of being very kind of, as we said, sort of steampunky weird. In this film, it's it's kind of like watching an episode of Gotham, where they're converging different styles to create this kind of odd place all to itself. And that doesn't help because the place and the art direction is so strange and offbeat that it's like it's like the future in a Terry Gilliam film or something. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Where it's, am I looking at the future? Am I looking at the past? Am I looking at a past version of the future? Yeah. This is what they thought the future would be like in the 20s? Also, it appeared that the detective in this film had no bosses or home base. He was not he responsible He worked out of his house, right. apparently. Like, it, yeah, no, it, it just very, didn't. He looked, it seemed more like he was a sheriff. You know, these people who are given jurisdiction over areas, uh, rural areas, that are, some of them are part-time. Um more than a, a police detective because he doesn't seem to, I mean, occasionally or maybe once in the film there's a phone call to a superior, but again, yeah, like you said, never wears a uniform. No. Nope. He's working out of his house. He's he's getting information on a radio, uh, you know, via, in his car. Right. So there's a disembodied female voice sort of telling him where to go, mm-hmm. but... He's getting called off of the fact because he wants to investigate these murders and the police officer that's dressed like a police officer uh-huh. is like, there's no, there's no there there. Well, there's no case. Let it go. Anybody who's there. watched Procedural would have a real problem with the film because there's no actual police work. He's dragging his brother-in-law along in the case. Yeah. He's... Who He's just a, gets in the child's face and yells, right. are you a virgin? Who's hectoring, you know, fuck? witnesses and things like that. <laughs> it's just a really weird film. It's a really weird film and it needed a lot. It's, I felt like I was watching a first draft. All right. That's gonna... That's... A, that's... That's that. Right. That's the mangler, everyone. Let's I'll, I'll tell you a funny story, though. Okay. After I watched The Mangler, we watched Single White Female, because I needed to wash my uh, brain out with a superior thriller. And then I found a 70s film that was playing on Epic. Okay. And I watched. I started watching it, and first credit was a film by Harry Allen Towers, and I immediately <laughs> shut it off, off. like, screw that guy, I don't want to see it, he's, he's, he's not going to ruin my night. But you're like, wow, I uh, forgot, he'd made over a hundred films. Jesus Christ. Because he, again, was making them, flying the low-budget market. Is he still act- Oh, no, he's, he's passed on. Is he passed on? The joke was, know. he never gave any interviews except maybe to the police, or Interpol, because he's fleeing from one country to another to avoid having to pay for making films. But oh, right. So A tax? No, thank you. <laughs> right. <laughs> what are these words that you're throwing at me? The Shah of Iran promised me I could make a film. Well, he had a spouse his whole adult life. Yes, and she apparently was a very important Austrian actress who uh, later was the voice of uh, transit, public transit, I'm told, by an Austrian friend. Oh, interesting. That okay. she is the voice that you hear if you're taking a train yeah, in Austria. Yeah, Mind the Gap. <laughs> right. <laughs> She's the Mind the Gap voice in Austria. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Okay, so let's go ahead and... Right, close the book on the Mangler. So close. what are we watching next? So next week, mm-hmm. um, I know that you were looking forward to this one. We were watching Dolores Claiborne. Okay. 
So the which I've never seen. Re mm-hmm. uh, the reprisal of Kathy Bates in a Stephen King story. Okay. Uh, also, I believe Jennifer Jason Lee plays her daughter. If I'm wrong about that, that's interesting. We'll find since out. we just saw it in a single white. I know that's right. why I, I said what I said. Mm. Uh, so that's what we're watching next week. And y'all, I have not seen it in a lot of time, but I have seen it, and it is better than the Mangler. So uh, that would we're on an upswing. Much. We're on an upswing. Do you want to uh, give any recommendations of something to watch other than the Mangler? I saw a film this weekend that probably will be your recommendation, too. Nope. Okay, I saw Knives Out. Knives Out! Which I really, really enjoyed. I was super excited as soon as I saw the very first trailer for this movie, and I was not disappointed. No, it was... But also, don't just go. Just, yeah, don't... (laughs) Don't look into it. Don't think about it. Just go see the movie. It's look a really at a cast list, experience. nod to yourself knowingly, and then go watch this movie. Now, mind you, to bring back Harry Allen Towers, in his course of his life, he produced three different versions of Ten Little Indians. I don't the Agatha know what Christie that novel, okay. which is the same story. Everyone's locked in a house and people start dying. Oh, okay. So well, this isn't quite the same don't way. Don't start dying. Somebody dies, and there's an unraveling of the mystery, and it's very twisty, but it's very much like watching an Agatha Christie story. It is. It it felt like Poirot. It felt like the murder on the Orient. As a matter of fact, we're even treated to a French detective, though he's a southern French detective, Benoit Beignet. Benoit... Blanc. Benoit Blanc. I want to call him Benoit Beignet. I I know you do, because (laughs) I I heard the name... I heard the name Benoit Blanc, and Benoit means one thing for to me, and that is a sex toy. A Chinese sex toy. And you, the whole movie apparently, thought it was a beignet, <laughs> right. which is a donut. Now, <laughs> the, the impression that you got mm-hmm. thinking donut, and the impression that I got thinking sex toy for the entire movie, <laughs> I am deeply... Uh, I, like, I want to know how that colored our viewings Well, of the I film. kept seeing him as a, a donut. Um, he was Kentucky Fried, that's right. for sure. So, but yeah, Daniel Craig is eating all of the scenery. The cast is... The cast is amazing. King bonkers. And everyone is super good. And it plays fair with you. It is a mystery that right. plays fair with you. And they I recommend an, it. I, I, what I liked about the, and I can't give away anything about it, really, they added another element that makes it, they ratcheted up the mystery of the they, story. They also made it pertinent to now. Right. It's like, also culturally relevant. Culturally relevant. Mm. So it is it is very much like Murder on the Orient Express, but it is also taking place in 2019, and it feels like it's taking so place So it's almost as if there was a modern Agatha Christie type story, but it follows that same kind of, uh, mis- As a matter of fact, there's even a reference to it. At one point, one of the characters says that the the murder victim's house was like a clue board. Yeah, he basically lived at a clue board. Right. Like Keith, oh, the, the cast, y'all, go see this movie. Uh, yes. Just go see it. If you like also the, the kind of acting, this is, the, it, it's just, yeah, it's a first-rate movie and it's very entertaining. I remember after it was done, I'm looking at the screen saying, I'm satisfied. That Ryan Johnson is a good filmmaker. Right. I have enjoyed all of his films, all of them. So I'm excited to see what he does next, but this was super fun for this year. And you? And I would say, if you've got relatives that you maybe don't agree with politically, bring them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> go. Just go. <laughs> <laughs> They'll see themselves on screen. Uh, so I am going to recommend a thing that we're in the middle of mm-hmm. on faith, and that is the current season of Castle Rock. We'll talk about it when we get to Castle yeah. Rock sometime at the end of next year uh, for this show. But I'm hyping uh, a character with my name for the first time ever. I am almost 40 years old, and I have never ever in my life watched a show where somebody's name was Amity and somebody's name is Amity, y'all. And uh, um, it's real weird to hear my name so much. <laughs> but outside of that, this season is very, very good. I liked last season very much. I like this season maybe a little more. I don't know. I'll have to rewatch the first season again. Uh, but Hulu, Castle Rock, 
watch it for Amity. This season, I think, has more of what I would want to get from a Stephen King world, which is last season were references to the characters. It was seeing characters that we'd seen in other stories. One. Um, the sheriff in particular, and mm-hmm. so there's references to the places and all. And, uh, and it was a lot of fun. There was a lot of good performances. This one has that apocalyptic gloom. And there's a, it's really, I don't want to give anything away. Yeah, no, but check it out. But this it really is very good. good. And Lizzie Kaplan. Also, you don't have to watch mm-hmm. season one no, you to don't. see season two. There is Although there is a nice connection between the two of them. The, yeah, but there's almost no crossover, yeah. and there's literally nothing that you have to know from right. season one to but, watch season two. But yes. they're both good. Transformation of sex symbol Lizzie Kaplan into... Fucking baby Kathy Bates. Right. It's it's an amazing <laughs> performance. She, yeah. she is... I'm hoping that she gets right. some nods because her performance yeah. in this... Her body language. What she's is taken amazing. from a previous person who uh-huh. has, so she's playing, uh, Annie Wilkes. Annie Wilkes, the uh, antagonist yes. <laughs> from Misery, but she is. But it's very much like the Bates Motel show, mm. where it takes place now. So we're not, you know, in the seventies mm. where she would be her younger self, and there's a whole different storyline. It's, yeah. It's a, it's a non-prequel prequel. It's a different timelines version and of the Annie fact Wilkes. That her character, but she is channeling right. Kathy Bates, right? In a lot of what she's doing, her physicality is yeah. what takes every and the week voice. Ooh, watching it, her voice is fucking spot on too. I don't. I wonder if they had any. If they talked about it. I don't know. Maybe. I know that Johnny Lee Miller apparently had some discussions with Tommy Lee Jones when he played the younger version of the Texas Ranger from Lonesome Dove. Oh, no. Oh, okay, yes. Right. He yeah. played the same character at an earlier period in his history and really, uh, and he's an underrated actor, Johnny Lee Miller. I think he's great. He borrowed, and we saw, I think when we saw Frankenstein, yeah. we saw some of that. He borrowed a lot of the physicality in just basically lowering his voice and carrying that same sort of slouching uh, posture that Tommy Lee Jones became famous for. Gotcha. He was slightly dejected. Yeah. And I think the same thing happens here. She borrows that same weird rigidity. Yeah, but I think it might just be watching the thing and not talking to her, but I don't Maybe. know. I and don't it know. really wouldn't surprise me if Kathy Bates popped up in one of these episodes. No, not at all. Tim that Robbins is in this show. Well, He's uh, playing a character from the books. Last season, it was Sissy Spacek. Yeah. Who was wonderful. No, well, it was more than that. Right. It was also Bill. Yeah. Uh, previously Pennywise, then the yeah. kid. Uh, there was a, actually a lot of crossover, but in this one, the big one is uh, Tim Robbins, not as uh, Andy Dufresne. No, no. Andy Dufresne's had a happy ending. We leave him As alone. Pop Merrill, who is a character in several of the books, because Castle Rock figures prominently in several of the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's very good. It's very good. I like it very much, and I recommend it. And also there's a character named Amity, and that's exciting. So exciting for me. So I think that's everything. Everything? Yep, that's everything. We even had our recommendations. All right. Well, if you uh, are mad at us for watching The Mangler or hating The Mangler, you can write to us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at latecomerspod. You can find us on Facebook, Latecomers Podcast. Just put it in the search bar. You'll find us. Uh, next week, Dolores Claiborne. I don't know where it's uh, available. Hold on. Looks like we may have to rent it, but I'm going to put it into Roku, and if we have to watch it on Voodoo with ads, we'll do it. Uh, so not sure. It's rentable for sure on most things. Um, directed by Taylor Hackford, written by Tony Gilroy. Starring Kathy Bates, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Christopher Plummer. So once again, good cast. We have hope. We'll see where it goes. Filmed entirely on location in Maine, South Africa. <laughs> yes, no. It doesn't take place in Maine either. I don't think. Pretty sure it does. So I remind you to take your medicine, and we remind you better, better late, late than, than never. never.